extraordinary. And um, I began to see something in God's word. Uh, you know, sometimes, last year there were a, a couple of, I, I'm into like the superhero type movies. I don't know how many of y'all are, but I am. And, and my favorite movie of the year last year was Superman. It was awesome. And, I mean, the way they did it and uh, uh, re- they finally made a good Superman movie, for one. Um, but, you know, we, we, we had some good superhero movies. The Avengers was one of the great ones. That's probably one of my all-time favorites. Um, and I just love that stuff. And I think a lot of us love that, especially men, we love that stuff. Because it's stuff that we look at and we, we, we put ourselves vicariously in their positions. And we think, yeah, if I had those powers, I would do that. But the thing that I began to connect was sometimes we read the Bible like we're watching a superhero movie. Because when you walk out of the movie, you know that's not real. You know that's not real life. There's something there that you're looking at and you're thinking, man, that's awesome that this person that just seems like a normal person, they, uh, you know, that they're a scientist or they're a billionaire or they work for a newspaper magazine in town, uh, you know, but they're able to do these things at night, you know, or they have this other side of them that does these awesome things. And so we watch those things, but then by the time we get out of the movie theater and get in our car and drive home and start thinking about the bills that we have to pay and the kids, uh, you know, that we have to take care of and the, the mortgage that's got to be taken care of and the, the sink that's full of dishes, we don't feel so powerful all of a sudden. That All of a sudden doesn't it's like, yeah, that's not real. But the problem is, is when we read God's word, God's word is full of people that did some awesome stuff. Did some things that probably today we've never seen. I don't know how many of you have, have seen a, a regular, you know, 17-year-old kid knock over a giant that was over nine feet tall. I don't know how many of you have seen someone that's nine feet tall. I don't know how many of you have parted the river that was in your driveway so you could get the trash to the curb, but Moses parted a Red Sea. You know, some of the stuff that we see is just like we read the Bible and we do the same thing that we do with the superhero movies. It's not real. It's not tangible. But the thing that I've come to find out is that this book is real. Everything it says is truth. And if one dot is a lie, then the whole thing's up for question. The whole thing's up for debate. But the Bible is true. Those things that are in there really did happen. And so we see people that do extraordinary things. We see superheroes that do extraordinary things. We read about people in the Bible that did extraordinary things, and because of what they did, it becomes who they are. So we see someone do something extraordinary, and so we automatically say, that person is extraordinary. That's an extraordinary person. The thing I love about this word is it's actually made up of two words. It's actually got two words in there. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. And so we read the Bible, 
And we see these people that do extraordinary things, and we automatically think they were extraordinary people. But when you really study the person behind the act, you find out that they were really just ordinary. You actually begin to find out that they were just normal people like you and I. And what's even greater to discover is that God a lot of times would pick the wrong person to do something great. He would pick someone that not was just ordinary, but people that you and I would have written off. See, you and I would not pick a 100-year-old man that has been unable to have children and call him the father of many nations. You and I would not pick that guy. We'd pick the guy, we'd pick, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jacob, who's having 12 kids and can't seem to shut the thing off. It just keeps on coming. That's a, yeah, that's a father of many nations. And there's plenty of people that had lots of kids. David had seven brothers besides himself. Joseph had 11 brothers. I mean, you're talking, some of these people had a lot of kids. You read those genealogies, it's not just a couple of verses. They take up chapters. I'm still reading the genealogies. I'm three chapters into this thing, and God's still telling me who begat who begat who begat who. And he picks the guy that's been on the earth for 100 years and hasn't had one kid, has been unable to, it's not like they haven't been trying. They have been barren, unfruitful. And he says, you're going to be a father of many nations. I mean, not only are they just ordinary people, but they're disqualified in our book. He picks Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. The one that lived in Egypt was living a lie for the first 40 years of his life. And then he kills someone before he leaves. I mean, the reason he left Egypt was because he murdered someone. And that's the guy he says, you're, you're going to lead my people out of 450 years of bondage and slavery. I mean, he picks the youngest guy that's sitting out taking care of sheep and says, you're going to be the king of Israel. I mean, Samuel, by... By the time he got to the fifth or sixth one, he was like, for sure, the king has got to be in this room. You got another son? Oh, yeah, we got one. He's sitting out there taking care of sheep. You know, I mean, big deal. He's playing the little harp. Oh, yeah, that's the king of Israel. Picks the guy that's murdering Christians, putting them to death, putting them in jail. Says, you are going to be the greatest advocate for the kingdom of God, and you're going to write two-thirds of a book that I've got coming out soon. Planting churches all over the place. Can't shut the guy down. They kill him. He gets back up and walks back into the city and starts preaching again. These are the people that God picks. So I find out that there's really no reason to disqualify myself. Because, see, when we think of extraordinary, we always think it's somewhere out there. We always think it's somebody else. Somebody else is going to do something extraordinary. But the thing that I have found out is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so we're going to go on a journey for the next several weeks. Today, I'm just going to kind of intro and kind of lead you into what extraordinary looks like and why God has required us, not just asked us, but required us 
to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. And we're going to go on a journey. We're going to look at these Bible characters, these people that we thought were so extraordinary, so awesome, and we're going to break it down. We're going to find out, wow, they were ordinary people. They were people with ailments. They were people that should have been disqualified. They were people with insecurities and pasts that shouldn't have allowed them to do what they did. And then by the time we get done, we're going to find out there's no reason why we should ever disqualify ourselves from doing something great for the kingdom of God. Look at John chapter 14, verse 12. While you're turning there, I'm going to read you the definition of extraordinary. While you're turning to that passage, I'm going to read you the definition of extraordinary. Extraordinary means beyond what is usual, ordinary, or regular. Beyond what is usual, ordinary, or regular. Now, the word ordinary, because we got to define both. we got to look at them both. Here are some synonyms for ordinary. And as I read these synonyms, you're going to be thinking to yourself, yep, that's, that's me. That's my life. That's what I do. Uh, usual, routine, familiar, mediocre, monotonous, mundane, regular. And some of us, we lead ordinary lives. When we think of extraordinary, uh, we might think of some athlete. We might think of uh, some, uh, you know, for me, I think of a lot of pastors. I think of a lot of uh, great leaders in the church that have gone before me and that are uh, in the earth today, and I think they're, they're extraordinary. They had extraordinary faith, or they had an extraordinary church, or they minister with an extraordinary power. That, those are things that come to my mind. You might think of somebody that's got a lot of money that's doing a lot of good for people. You might think of someone that has an extraordinary talent, such as singing or acting. And we never put ourselves in the column of extraordinary. If you have ordinary and extraordinary, most of us would put ourselves in the ordinary column. I have an ordinary life with an ordinary house and an ordinary car and ordinary bills and an ordinary mortgage, and this is the ordinary life that I live. It's regular. It's mundane. It's monotonous. I'm, I get up on Monday. I do the same thing, come at home. I do the same thing at night and turn around and do it all over again on Tuesday. But that's just not good enough for kingdom citizens. That's not good enough for believers. And now what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm not going to ask you to go home today and try to rearrange your life and look for a different job and get a different family and get a different spouse. Uh, those aren't the things I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to go and, and, you know, you got to go buy a different car because that's not the stuff that makes you extraordinary. Today, I want to show you what makes you extraordinary. Today, what I'm going to ask you after the service to do is find out how you can make your ordinary life today become extraordinary. In what you do, could the job that you work, the ordinary job you go to Monday through Friday, could that become something extraordinary for the kingdom of God? Could the home that you go to and the racket with all the kids running around and the, the dirty dishes, and, and could that become an extraordinary home? Could you become an extraordinary mom or an extraordinary dad or an extraordinary husband or wife, an extraordinary co-worker, rather than just being 
ordinary. Look at John chapter 14, verse 12. John chapter 14, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to his disciples. And in this passage, really beginning with John chapter 13, uh, he's going over some last-minute details because this is the Last Supper. This is his last moments with his disciples. And so what he says here, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now this verse ruined me for a lot of my years growing up. Because we read that verse and we automatically think Jesus had to have been talking about someone else or about something else. Or he just kind of lapsed for a moment and didn't really know what he was saying because Jesus just told me in this verse that not only will I do the things that he did, I will do even greater things. Not only will I do the works that he did, and by the way, the things that he did are some of the most extraordinary things we've ever seen. That we've ever read about, that we've ever heard about. The life that he lived, I mean, if we had to say who was the most extraordinary person in the Bible, you're picking Jesus, man. He's, he's the first one on your team. He's the one that's got, you know, he's like, you know, for us guys, when you're doing a video game, and you're making your own character, and you do 99s for everything, 99 for speed, 99 for, uh, you know, quickness, and 99 for, uh, you know, arm strength and all that stuff. He's the guy. He's got all 99s. He's, he's the number one dude that you're picking on your team. He's the most extraordinary character in the entire Bible. He's got it all. Had the greatest amount of faith, walked on water, raised up dead people, uh, you know, leprosy, which was, you know, the most, deadliest, contagious, uh, you know, uh, sickness there was. He's going right up to them and healing them, putting ears back on guys. I mean, just crazy stuff. And he's telling me in this verse that if I believe in him, the works that he did, that we will do. And even greater works. And so this is a perplexing verse. For a lot of us. And this is what leads us to become extraordinary. Because Jesus wasn't missing it. Jesus wasn't lying. Jesus, Jesus wasn't deceiving us. Jesus wasn't, you know, picking and choosing. In fact, let me just go ahead and tell you who he's talking to. He's talking to 12 guys, you know, and, and even when we look at them, sometimes we put them up on a pedestal and we say that they were great and awesome and mighty. But when you really look at the 12 disciples, they were really just a bunch of weirdos. When you really know who Peter was, Peter was impulsive, irrational, emotional. I mean, he was the guy that would call Jesus the son of the living God one second. And five verses later, he's rebuking him and saying, and he had to be told to get behind me, Satan. So the guy that said, I'm not going to deny you, kidding me? I'm going to go to the cross with you. So you know that Jesus guy? No, man, I'm not with him. 
Where do you see me? I'm, I've never been around that guy. I don't know who that guy is. That guy's crazy. Rooster crows three times. And he denied Jesus. I mean, Peter was one of the most heated ones of the whole bunch. Yet he's the one that gets up in Acts chapter 2 and preaches the first message of the church. John and James were brothers. And they liked to argue about who was going to be greater. They were called the sons of thunder. And they would have discussions with each other. And eventually their mom even showed up and shows you where they got it from. Their mom comes to you and says, hey, which one of my sons is going to be seated at your right hand when you go to heaven? Which one of these is going to be greater? Just crazy. Matthew was a tax collector, reviled by his own people because he was a Jewish guy that turned himself over and began working for the Romans that had come into Jewish territory and took over. So he was a traitor. Nobody cared for Matthew. And he was a greedy guy, and he just wanted to take people's money, and he would take however much he wanted because it was all going to Rome. And the more he took from them, the more he got from Rome. The people that Jesus picked, he didn't pick religious people. (laughs) He didn't go to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee that came to him. He didn't say, hey, follow me. Didn't pick that guy. You know all about Jewish law because Pharisees, they had to be taught the Jewish law from the time they were five years old. They knew the Bible inside and out, frontwards and backwards. Didn't pick any of those guys. Didn't pick religious people. Didn't even necessarily pick guys that loved God. He picked fishermen and tax collectors and just ordinary people. And these were the 12 men that he called alongside him to do greater things, to do extraordinary things. And here's why. Extraordinary always begins with ordinary. The first thing you got to know about extraordinary is it always begins with ordinary. I mean, even when you're reading, uh, you know, your little comic books or watching the superhero movies. I mean, who's Peter Parker? Who's Clark Kent? Who's Bruce Wayne? Who are these people? These are just normal people. Except for Bruce Wayne. I mean, he was like, you know, he was an actual billionaire that just made all kinds of weird weapons and stuff. But Peter Parker gets bit by a spider, and now he's Spider-Man. Who's, who's, who's the Flash? Anybody give me his name? Say it again. Barry Allen. Barry Allen. Barry Allen. Gets struck by lightning, and now he can run faster than anybody on the face of the planet. I mean, just silliness. They're ordinary people. And here's the interesting thing. You may have even noticed a lot of the superheroes always had a time in their life where they wished they could just be ordinary. I just want to be an ordinary, you know, Clark Kent in Superman when he's, you know, 12 years old and he pushes the school bus out of the lake and he has to talk with his dad about it because his dad has told him, you can't be doing that stuff, man. You can't be using these powers yet. You're not ready. We got to build character and integrity in you so you don't use these powers for the wrong reason. I just want to be normal, dad. Who's my real dad? Where did I come from? 
Why can't I be like everybody else? Why can't I see through doors? And why can't I shoot lasers out of my eyes? And why can't I push school buses that are full of kids out of a lake? Why do I have these? I just want to be normal. I want to be ordinary. But in the kingdom of God, we don't, we don't get to do that. We've got to find out how we become extraordinary. We've got to find out how do we do the greater things. Now, when you heard the word greater, uh, Jesus didn't say better. He said greater. And sometimes we, we swap those words and we think Jesus said better. So the life that I'm living now is not good enough. It's got to be better. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, take the life that you have now and make it greater. So I don't have to go changing all kinds of stuff around. I just got to do what I'm doing with a greater sense of calling and a greater ability and a greater faith that's inside of me. And here's the other thing. Jesus isn't telling us that we're going to be greater than him. Jesus is saying that you're going to be greater with him. He's saying that the things that I've been doing, you're going to do. And even greater things. Not that you're going to be greater than Jesus, but you're going to do greater things. Because, again, what makes someone extraordinary? Doing extraordinary things. You become what you do. So if I do extraordinary things, I'm an extraordinary person. Now, where does this greatness come from? Look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John Chapter 4, and I love the fact that John wrote both of these statements. John was the one that wrote 14, verse 12, and stated that Jesus said to his disciples, these things that you do, these things that I do, you will do, and even greater things. Now we get over to another book that John wrote, one of those ordinary disciples. And in 1 John chapter 4, he writes this. Verse 4, you are of God. That means you belong to God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We've all heard that, right? My, my son has this song that he sings all the time now. Greater is he that is in me. Greater is he that is in me. You know, for the longest time, when I read that, I always thought, oh, yeah, Jesus. Jesus is greater. But that's not who John's referring to here. And that's not who Jesus was referring to in John chapter 14, verse 12. Because four verses later in verse 16, they're being taught extraordinary next door, and apparently they're grabbing a hold of it a little bit better than y'all are, but that's all right. Us adults, we're a little slower, but they already think they can, you know, fly through the ceiling and push school buses around, so they already got extraordinary. Jesus wasn't referring to himself. You know, you ask Jesus into your heart, now he lives inside. No. Jesus sent somebody in his place called the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't saying that you would do greater things because I'm going to make you greater. You're going to do greater things because of who I'm going to place in you. See, greatness is not somewhere out there. 
Greatness is in you. Greatness is in you. The day that you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you had greatness drop down inside of you. You had greatness just get shut up inside this body and shut up inside of who I am. So now greatness goes with me to work and greatness goes home to those kids that drive me nuts sometimes. Greatness goes uh, to the school uh, goes to the school uh, field trips and to the baseball games and greatness goes with me. Greatness goes with me to that boss that gets on my nerves and that I can't stand and they can't stand me. And greatness goes to that co-worker that's trying to get me fired. Greatness goes. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, every superhero has an adversary. There's always a villain. We have an adversary. But greater is he that's inside of us. But the thing is, is that if the greatness is inside of you, the only way that it can come out is through you. So now we've got to find a way to become extraordinary. I'm leading you there. I'm getting you there. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 in the message. The message translation, it reads this way. My dear children, you come from God and belong to God. See, you're extraordinary not because of who you are, but because of who you belong to. You're extraordinary because of who placed greatness inside of you. You are extraordinary because of the family, the royal family, because of who your king is. That's where the greatness comes from. You have already won a big victory over those false teachers. For the spirit in you is far stronger than anything in the world. Not just a little bit stronger. Far stronger. You know, if you even mention the name of Jesus, they hit their knees. You know, sickness has no authority. You know, it's even better than the superhero movies because there's always a struggle, there's always a fight, and, you know, they almost die, and then they find a way to come back and win at the last second. That, That doesn't even happen in the kingdom of God. It's not even that close. It's not even that fair. The fight is so lopsided, so one sided on the kingdom that Satan doesn't even stand a chance. The only way Satan wins is if you don't use what you have. If you use what you have, he does not stand a chance. If you use the name of Jesus, if you use the word of God, if you stand in your righteousness, if you know who you are, that's why he wants to keep you ignorant. My people perish for the lack of knowledge. They're dying not because I haven't given them enough resource or ability. They're dying because they just don't know who they are and what they have. That's why we preach what we preach. Because I can't carry the burden going to heaven one day because I didn't preach something that you needed to hear. I preach all of it, man. I'll tell you how to raise your kids. I'll tell you how to be a good parent. I'll tell you what to do with your money. I'll tell you what the Bible says about everything that, are, that involves our lives. Because anything I don't teach you in is an area you will struggle If I don't teach you what the Bible says and how to parent and raise up children properly, you will struggle and the enemy will beat you in that area. If I don't teach you how to handle your finances according to what the Bible says, 
you will struggle in your finances. The enemy will beat you up there because you don't know what to do. It's the only way the devil can win. It's the only, only way. Because once you learn how to do it and you do it, he has no authority. It's that simple. So we've got to learn how to do extraordinary things. Look at this. Jesus was talking with 12 disciples that up until this point never really showed any ability. I mean, really, when you look at the characters and as we go into the characters, I've got at least five right now that we're going to look at through the Bible. And when you look at them, there was never a qualification. See, we always try to qualify ourselves because we live in a world that qualifies you. Can you do that job? Can you be a good mom? You didn't have a good mom. Can you be a good dad? Look at how your dad raised you. You probably don't want to have kids because you won't know how to raise kids. You don't have enough training. You don't have enough knowledge. You don't have enough experience. But God qualifies you from day one because God never sees ordinary. God always sees extraordinary. He always sees extraordinary. He always sees extraordinary. That's the title of my message today, extraordinary. God doesn't see ordinary. When he looks at you, he doesn't see the ordinary individual that everybody else is. When he looked at Abraham, he didn't look at an ordinary person that was unable to have kids. He saw a father of many nations. Because God always sees future. God doesn't have time to look at the past. I mean, for him, it's the past. Because everything to God is in the past. Your future is in God's past. Your future has already happened to him. Now it's just a matter of will you walk it out? Will you do and take on the purpose and the assignment that he has for your life and walk out everything he's called you to do? But God sees future. He's the only one that can see that, by the way. So don't worry if your parents counted you out. Don't worry if your teacher said you weren't smart enough. Don't worry if your boss said you didn't have enough experience. Don't worry if your friend said you weren't cool enough. Don't worry because God sees the future. They can only see your past and your present. You've heard me say this a million times. Unless you get around spirit-filled people that will get in line with how God sees you. See, I have extraordinary vision. I have made it a part of my life for the rest of my life. And as long as I'm in ministry, not to see people based upon past and present. I see potential. I see abilities. I see stuff in people that they don't even see themselves. Because I've taken on God's eyesight. I see future. I see what you can be, not what you have been. God sees what you can be and what you will be, not what you have done. In fact, he hates it so much, he said, I sent my son to die on the cross, shed his blood to get rid of all that garbage. We don't need it. And the only thing that ever stops us is us looking at our past, 
we're really the only ones that disqualified. We're the ones that read this Bible and say, wow, he parted the Red Sea. Wow, he built an ark. Wow, he took down a, a, a giant. Wow, I could never do that. Today, that stops. Today, that stops. And I'm going to show you the one ingredient that all those people, they didn't, they didn't have qualifications in the natural, but they had the one qualifier. Look back at John chapter 14, verse 12. Disqualification today stops. If you have always discounted yourself and disqualified yourself from ever doing anything extraordinary, that's over today. John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. He who believes in me. Another word for belief is faith. The number one ingredient that all of the extraordinary people in the Bible, the one thing they had in common was faith. That's the qualifier. Not that you're strong enough, not that you're fast enough, not that you're young enough, not that you're old enough. Faith. He who believes in me. These things that I do, he will do. Abraham, faith. Moses, faith. David, faith. Noah, faith. Paul, faith. Joshua, faith. Joseph, faith. People that simply believed God at his word. And now we have a whole book written that is full of them doing extraordinary things. Not because they were the oldest in the family. Not because they had the best training. Not because they already had a large family. Not because they were, uh, you know, the, the one that everybody else would have picked, but because God picked them because they had faith. Now look at James chapter 2, verse 26. Because there's a very important entity that must be connected. Okay, so you're saying if I have faith, if I have faith, then I can be extraordinary. Yes, but there's a part of faith that sometimes we leave off. And we'll look at this deeper. But in James chapter 2, verse 26, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Let me define what working your faith is called. When you work your faith, there's one word for it. It's called obedience. When you believe in God and then act on what you believe, you obey. Obeying God, watch this, obeying God is the most extraordinary thing you could ever do. In fact, whenever you obey God, whatever you do becomes extraordinary. See, now that takes ordinary daily tasks that I do 
See, some of you actually may have been doing extraordinary things, but you've been dumbing it down as ordinary. God told you to stop and talk to that lady in public and just share with her about Jesus. Oh, that's, 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 that's no big deal. No, you obeyed God. And because the greater one lives inside of you, you just performed an extraordinary act and you didn't even know it. Well, yeah, all those guys were sitting over there talking, you know, about a dirty joke. And I, and I said, guys, you know, we really don't need to be talking about that right here. Because the Holy Spirit convicted you on the inside and said, you need to tell them. And you spoke up. Oh, that's, that's ordinary. That's no big deal. No. With God, that just became extraordinary. Whenever you have faith in God and you act on that, and obey what he's asked you to do, it instantly becomes an, an extraordinary act. Why was Abraham extraordinary? Because he obeyed. Why was Noah extraordinary? Because he obeyed. Why was David extraordinary? Because he obeyed multiple times. And when he failed, he was quick to ask for forgiveness and then obey again. Why was Jesus extraordinary? Let me break it down for you. Jesus was extraordinary not just because he was the son of God, because he lived in flesh just like you and I, tempted just as you and I are tempted on a daily basis. But he obeyed his father. And that's what made him extraordinary. Now, I don't want to dumb it down to the sense that we can't do the things that Jesus did because, yes, we can raise the dead. Yes, we can heal the sick. Yes, we can cast out demons. Today, I don't know how many of you have cast out a demon recently, but we can do that. I don't know how many of you have laid hands on your child at night and they were healed, woke up the next morning completely over the sickness, but you can do that. I don't know how many of you have had a family member die, but then you pray for them and they came back to life, but you can do that. I'm not, I'm not going to disqualify that stuff. But what I am saying is we've got to broaden the picture because we know those are extraordinary things. But I want to show you that extraordinary is bigger than that. Extraordinary encompasses any obedience towards God. Faith in his word that is followed by an action. Whenever you obey God, whatever you do becomes extraordinary. See, God doesn't just do great things exclusively through great people. God will do great things through people that will just obey him. God is looking for people that will just simply have faith in him and then act on that faith. I believe in God and I obey what he's asking me to do. You know, the Bible says that Abraham, they actually call him the father of faith. The father of faith. One of the men with the greatest amount of faith. I mean, God told him to get up and go, and he went. Left his family, left his country, left everything he knew, and went to a place where he didn't know where he was going. No GPS, no roadmap, no map quest, no nothing. He said, go. Then he gave him a son, the, the son that 
the only son he had. Like he gave him, you know, a whole litter of, litter of them. I mean, he gave him one son, Isaac. Here's your son. Now go kill him. I mean, that's the father of faith right there. And it says that his faith was accounted unto him as righteousness. Was accounted to him as, you know, Jesus hadn't come and died on the cross yet. So righteousness in the Old Testament was someone just simply taking God at his word and obeying what he asked them to do. That was a righteous person. That's how strong this acting is. See, sometimes we wait for us to be greater before God can do great things in us. Now, I will tell you this. Living a greater life, there is a sacrifice. Doing extraordinary things, there is a sacrifice. See, many of us, we're always willing to sacrifice bad for good. But where some of us get stuck is when we're not really willing to sacrifice good for better. And some of us have ent entered a mediocre, monotonous, routine life. God's calling us to something greater but we've got it good. Those are the hard ones to move. Those are the hard ones. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord. Well, there's more. I want to infill you with my Holy Spirit. I want to empower you to do kingdom work. I I I'm all right getting to heaven. And some people are barely doing that. We were glad to get out of darkness into light. But now being a light. That, that's another ball game. But God's called us to go all out. God's called us to do more than that. And some of us, even in entering the extraordinary, are still just doing the ordinary. And that's what I want to get us out of. But every time we read these stories and every time we think of doing something great, we always think we have to be better or we have to be greater or we have to do something with ourselves. But I want to show you through this series, you can't miss a week. Because everyone's different. Abraham dealt with something different than Moses did, than Joseph did, than David did, than Jesus did. They all dealt with something different. And I might not hit yours in the first week, so you got to come back around the next week to see if I hit on what your excuse is. Because we all got excuses. But here's what an excuse is. An excuse is, excuse is a reason with a lie. That's what an excuse is. Excuse is a reason not to do something, but in the end, it's a lie because if we got rid of the excuse, you could really do it. So I want to get rid of all the excuses. I want to get rid of all the disqualifying, all the discontentment. It, it, you know, you might be in here saying, yeah, man, I, I need extraordinary. I, I, my, my life is ordinary. I need something better than that, than great. But you might be in here saying, you know, you know I'm I feel like I'm doing all right. I'm making a good amount of money. I'm giving to the church. I'm coming. I'm tithing. I'm, I'm reading my Bible, you know. But there's more. How do we discover the more? Abraham went through tests of faith. He didn't just have one. And none of them ever entered a time where they said, all right, you've reached extraordinary. Welcome to the extraordinary level. Welcome to Extraordinary. Your table's right over here. They never had that. 
there was always a reaching, always a pursuing, always a going after, always something more. Look, really, our lifetime on this earth is very small. You know, it used to be longer. And 120 years is what you're promising. You can believe for 120 years, by the way. You want to live to 120? You can hang out here for 120 years. There's no problem with that. I know this. I don't want to go anywhere until I've fulfilled my assignment to the nth degree. Kenneth E. Hagin, when he passed away, it was because he accomplished everything that God called him to do. He left nothing undone, and he knew, it's my time. That simple. Paul, these are, Paul said, I've run my race. They didn't take his life. They gave it. And however long we're on this earth, to the last day, we can do something extraordinary. There's no more disqualifying. I'm beyond the age. I'm not old enough. Or I haven't finished school. No, we're going to take the life that we have now and do something extraordinary with it. Amen? Father, we thank you. I thank you for every extraordinary person in this room. Although we may think we're ordinary, although we may think that there's more we need to do, Father, you have already placed all that there is, all the greatness inside of us. And Father, I thank you through this series that our eyes will be open to the extraordinary power, the extraordinary workings that you want to do through our lives. We are your hands. We are your feet. You can't do anything extraordinary in the earth without using us, ordinary people. And so, Father, I thank you over the next several weeks that we'll begin to open our hearts through this message, begin to find ways to do extraordinary things, be an extraordinary person. I want to do this right now with your every eye closed, every head bowed. I want to let you know this. You'll get nothing out of this series. You can't be extraordinary without getting the greater one in you. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, if he's not allowed to call the shots in your life, if you have not given him your life, you might as well not come the next several weeks. Because you are disqualified. That's a disqualification. God qualifies those that come to him. God qualifies those that receive his spirit. If that's you today, you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've not confessed him as Savior and as Lord. We need to take care of that today. If that's you, if you just raise your hand right where you're at. He must be Lord. See, he was Lord in Abraham's life. Because when the Lord spoke, Abraham did. He was Lord in Noah's life. Because when the Lord spoke, Noah did. He was Lord in David's life. That's how he knew as he was marching towards that giant, I'm going to come out of this victorious. 
because my Lord is with me. But you have to receive him as Lord. We can't do anything great for the kingdom if we're not in the kingdom. Amen. Well, Father, I thank you. I thank you this morning. We have a room full of extraordinary people, a room full of people that have greatness housed within them. I thank you that your spirit resides within us, is empowering us to go forward and do all that you have called us to do. We're no longer disqualified. We no longer look at the past. We've gone from bad to good. Now we're going to go from good to greater. And Father, I thank you right now over these next several weeks that we will become extraordinary for the kingdom of God. Not on the inside because it's already there, but on the outside we'll release all the greatness that you've placed within us. We thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.